We are excited to welcome you to another episode of Live to Give More. We will discuss ways to have impact in our communities and around the world. We will introduce our audience to inspiring ideas and people who are making significant changes. Together, we will navigate how we can all better serve others and spread kindness. We decided to create this podcast in order to do our part and give our listeners ways to take action and be that change. My name is Anna G. Erlich. I am a wife, mom, marketing and events professional business owner, serving the nonprofit world in many capacities. My name is Elise Sheck Bonwit, and I am a wife, mom, attorney, author, and business owner who has been fortunate to serve in leadership roles and volunteer opportunities through several nonprofit organizations. My motto is give more than you take. We are friends who have a variety of experiences, skills, and opinions that will make you think, cry, and smile, but most importantly, expose you to special ways to give back. We will inform you about what is going on in the world and what you need to know about how to make a difference. Let's get started. Life Net for Families, for being the number four, is a Broward County nonprofit organization that provides a gateway to stability for people experiencing hunger, homelessness, and or poverty. They focus on helping individuals and families achieve their highest level of stability. As the emergency room for poverty in Broward County, they're often the last resort for people who have tried to identify assistance and the first referral source for community providers who attempt to respond to crisis needs but fall short of experience or appropriate services. LifeNet for Families has been serving as a pillar in our community for over 37 years and serves over 10,000 community residents annually. We are excited to interview our guest today, Dr. Melanie Geddes, the President and Chief Executive Officer of LifeNet for Families. Dr. Geddes is responsible for the vision, strategy, and advancement of the mission through cohesive leadership, collective action, and advocacy. She oversees all aspects of organizational health, fundraising, leadership development, and growth. Dr. Geddes is an experienced, results-driven leader with a solid background in vision casting, organizational development, fundraising, relationship development, and management of increasingly sophisticated operations. Her proven track record in the human services field spans more than two decades with experience in leadership and development, grant administration, contract negotiations, consensus building, and facilitation of strategic alliances. She is exceptional at developing and leading teams through periods of change, skilled at building relationships, and masterful at cultivating trust through authenticity. Dr. Giddies received her doctorate from Nova Southeastern University in organizational leadership. She also holds a BA in deviant behavior and social control and a master's degree in public administration from the John Jay College of Criminal Justice in New York City. Dr. Geddes currently serves on board of directors of the Greater Fort Lauderdale Chamber of Commerce and the South Florida Hunger Coalition. She lives in Coral Springs with her husband and two sons. So welcome, Melanie. We can call you Melanie. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. So thank you for being with us. I want to learn more about life 
net for families and how we become more aware and take action. So let's get started. What inspired you to work for LifeNet for Families? Well, I've been in human services for my entire career. And I think the inspiration comes from my own really humble beginnings and wanting to always make a difference in the lives of others. I really feel blessed to understand that my purpose in life is to inspire hope, change, and growth. And so whenever I have an opportunity to do so, then I'm all in. And so LifeNet gives me that opportunity every single day. And so that's why it just continues to fuel my my passion. Excellent. So within what you just shared with us, this is basically your mission statement. So let me ask you a question. How many people are you currently serving through your programs and projects? So we serve like 10,000 people every year. And that number would be higher if we had the capacity, but we don't. So then some people we have to refer to other agencies that might be able to provide some of the assistance, even if it's not going to be in one place where they can get all of the services because we just don't have the capacity and you can't take on too much. Or if you do, you end up providing services that are subpar and we want people to have an experience that affords them dignity. Absolutely. So within that same concept of questioning is, how does your organization address empowering the community? If, you know, obviously you're able to connect with other organizations and you're able to refer people, but how are you able to empower the community with which you're working with? One of the ways that we empower the community, especially community partners, is by understanding what they bring to the table and understanding what we bring to the table and recognizing that together we're a force. And so one of the biggest ways is to point them in the direction of their own strengths so that this is not a competition and to make sure that people are focused on the fact that we really have one mission. You know, no matter what's going on, we're all trying to help people in our community. And so when we realize that, that it's a common goal, I think that people feel more empowered to do their part. And so working with people to help them to identify the best that they can do in a situation for clients and also working with people in the community who have no idea about how to help, who want to be involved, just pointing out and being very specific and clear about ways that they can be involved. Excellent. So can you tell us a little bit about your team of leaders that are working with you? Sure. I'd like to think, and I like to tell my staff that everybody here is a leader. Although there are some roles that are defined as leadership roles, but everyone here has an opportunity to build followers. And often people think that a title makes you a leader. And I don't agree with that. So some people who might be in a lower level position are actually people who can influence others. And so just every single opportunity that I get to work with the people at Life Net for Families, I feel like I'm learning, even though I am at the helm of the organization. So I work with a team of professionals. I work with a team of people who are really passionate about the mission. I work with people who understand that in order for us to accomplish the goals here, each of us is going to have to give a little bit more on some days and that we can't compare with the other person because it's whoever is equipped and whoever has the capacity to get us to the next level. So we work together in that way and everybody understands that. It doesn't matter. Sometimes it's me who's falling short. I just ask that everybody come with their best energy 
and not compare what anybody else is doing. And so that's kind of how we all work. We work from that spirit of I'm going to bring my best energy today. So if I come and I have 80% because something else is going on in my life, somebody else might have 110 or 120. And then we kind of balance each other off. Everybody is empowered to make a decision here. So it's not like they have to look for, oh, well, what would this person say we need to do? Everybody understands the confines that we work within, the systems, how their decision impacts the entire organization. And we trust each other to make the best decision for the organization and the individuals that we serve. That's a great leadership style. And I mean, I think anyone who's listening to this will take something away from that. So how do you, in certain moments, like how do you inspire everyone? How do you continue to inspire everyone on your leadership team? I think that the best way that I can inspire people on the leadership team is to remind them constantly of the goal. If you work at LifeNet for Families and you're not inspired, you're in the wrong place. And so one of the things that I'm always looking to do is to understand what people who are on the team are trying to accomplish for themselves. Because sometimes we pour so much into telling people how to take care of others that we forget to focus on the people who are on the team. So I build relationships with my team. They are not just widgets. They are people. They have family. They have hopes. They have goals. They have dreams. So I'm constantly trying to figure out what those things are. And checking in, making sure that they're okay. I'm reminding them to go to lunch, you know, if they're overworking. Sometimes I am so the distraction. You show that you care. And not everyone yes. does that. Yes. Yeah. If you show that you care, then you can tell people the hard things. And so I think that's how, if I had to say, you know, I guess if you would ask them, that's probably what they'd say. That inspiration comes from knowing that I care and leading by example and being passionate about the people we serve and the team that I have, you know, those are probably the ways. Absolutely. No, it sounds like a great organization. And absolutely, like what Elise said, it's a great way to lead because people truly feel empowered and they have that sense of ownership. And when you have a sense of ownership, then you're able to move everybody forward. You know, as you're discussing your leadership style, I'm thinking of a relay race when everybody, you know, the next person passes the baton to the next and the next. And if you've got 80% in the tank, then I got to have one, you know, 120 for you. And we all help each other to the finish line, which is a beautiful way to work, especially in today's nonprofit world. So all these incredible leadership skills and professionals moving this forward have to have programs and experiences in order for the community to thrive. Give us some stats, some numbers that can be helpful for our audience to understand. So- Right now in Broward County, food insecurity is a major issue. You know, like we're leading in the area of housing where housing is just totally unaffordable here. And so people are then finding themselves to be experiencing food insecurity. You know, in our county, almost 80,000 children are experiencing food insecurity and more than 230,000 individuals are experiencing food insecurity. And those numbers and that data is not from this year. There isn't data from this year. And so even when I give those statistics, I know that they are much higher because in the last two years, the crisis has really become, it's increased. You know, it's become more of an emergency because people who have never ever needed help or assistance are now asking for help. They are finding themselves not being able to pay their rent. Landlords are increasing housing costs. Some landlords aren't even taking the rent because they want to sell the property and people are finding themselves outside. So I think that 
the alarming number of people who are experiencing food insecurity is a big reflection of the impact in the community in every other area that is poverty related. Incredible. Okay. So what are some of the biggest challenges and obstacles you face as a community leader? Some of the biggest challenges that I face are bureaucracy. Like sometimes I feel like, you know, We've heard that before, unfortunately. <laughs> but I, I know yes. the, you know, like you feel like, why won't we as a community just Help each other. do something? Like, why do we have to have so many meetings to talk about the problem over and over again? We all know the problem. We don't need another symposium. We don't need another town hall. We don't need another task force or committee. We need to actually do something. We need to have action steps and we need to hold ourselves accountable as a community. When you go to a meeting about housing or homelessness or food insecurity or any matter, you can go back to that same meeting a year later and it feels like Groundhog Day. (laughs) So sometimes I'm just like, Oh my God, we're still talking about the same thing. What are we going to do? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's probably one of my biggest concerns. And like I said, you read in my bio, I'm really authentic. And with that, I'm outspoken. And sometimes that just rubs people the wrong way. And so I've had to learn how to show some restraint (laughs) because, but it's really tough because LifeNet is the emergency room for poverty. I don't have time to wait because the people who we're serving can't wait. They need an answer today. While we're trying to figure out who's going to approve it, there are people who literally don't have a place to use the restroom. That doesn't make sense to me. You know, there's... Yeah, I know. I was talking to somebody in a nonprofit that I work with, and I said, I'm going to give you the two Ps, which I really don't like, but I have to tolerate. It's a process and you got to have patience. Yes. You know, and we hear that in the nonprofit world a lot. You know, well, there's a process. No, the process underlying code is there's another committee meeting with people who are going to sit there and tell me what they think I should be doing, you know, and we could just but do it in three. people are hungry. And so, people are in need. Yes. So, yeah. So exactly. I, I know a little bit about some of your programs. I just want to make sure the audience understands. Can you talk a little bit about some of your top programming and how it helps people in your community? Okay, sure. So we have a community cafe at LifeNet for Families, and it is really the heart of what we do, food and nutrition. We have three pillars. We have food and nutrition, health and well-being, and then stability. And so food and nutrition is the biggest pillar. And the biggest part among that is really among those different programs is our community cafe. We're open six days a week, Monday through Saturday, and we feed on average 250 people every day. And those are people in our community who are homeless or who are just struggling and not able to maintain enough food for themselves or for their families. So our community cafe serves a hot meal. We also provide a bagged cold lunch so that people at least have two meals a day. And through that program, we really focus on making sure that the quality of food and the quality of the experience that people have is one that makes them feel like they're coming to a place where people really care. So they don't have to feel like, oh my God, I can't believe I have to come and sit here. So there are, there's round tables, there are flowers on the tables, there's music playing, there are, the staff is, it's just like a wait staff. And so we provide food that, the idea is that if I wouldn't want to eat it, we shouldn't serve it. So that's what we're doing at LifeNet for Families. We're providing a restaurant quality meal 
every day for people who are low income or no income who might otherwise not have that experience. And then we're charging our staff and volunteers to see every single person who comes through the door of the cafe. And that means that they can't just be a ticket number. You have to see them. They're people. They're people. They're not just numbers. Absolutely. We also have a mobile pantry program, and that mobile pantry program serves over 3,000 households every month. We're providing non-perishable items as well as fresh produce and meat when available. But the most important thing is to make sure that people have just basic food to help them through tough times. Some people come once and never come back unless they come back to volunteer. Some people are with us for a very long time because their income just doesn't allow them to get to a place where they don't have to frequent food pantries. And we started noticing that some people would come more than once, even though we were like, we, we didn't have enough food to do that. So we're like, okay, what's going on? We were, you were here before, almost like they were sneaking in line to come more than once. And then we had to check ourselves. Like if people are coming and getting online for food, we don't really want to pass judgment. Yes, you might have a few people who are opportunists, but for the most part, if somebody's going to wait online for food, they need it. Exactly. So then we had to figure out new ways. And one of those was our Family First initiative. And that program allows us to provide supper for families four nights a week. And it is delivered through a partnership through 211 and DoorDash to the families who live within a 13-mile radius of our office. And it's delivered for free or at no cost. People don't like free, right? So <laughs> at no cost to the patrons who, who frequent you know, life net for families or no cost to life net for families. DoorDash covers the cost of that. And so they get a full meal. It's delivered in a bag. We have a custom little label logo that's on it. Family's first logo. So if someone receives it, it appears that they are receiving something from a restaurant. That's amazing. So I wanted people to know a little bit about that. You do so much work. What inspires you? Any particular community leaders or... What inspires you to keep going? You know, I think the inspiration comes from the need. I'm always, I'm fully aware. And I come from, again, from really humble beginnings where food insecurity was a part of, you know, my experience. So that's very, very inspirational. And it also makes me focus on the experience that people are having, not just that what you're giving out, but how they're receiving it. Because I've been in a position with, you know, as a kid where my mom had to receive you know, some goods and services to help us along the way. So just making sure that the experience is going to be one that is not going to add to trauma or make people feel less than. And that's what's inspiring for me. If I had to point to a community leader that I'm inspired by, I would say Dennis Haas. And he is the CEO at Arc Broward. And I just really love this guy because he's been the CEO for, I think Dennis was there for like 25 years. He's retiring on December 2nd, I think is his last day. But he's really, really smart. He's dedicated. He grew that organization from a really small place to one that has so much funding and so many programs and the difference that they're making in the community is unparalleled for the population that they're serving. So I think that what I really love about him is that he's so authentic. He is outspoken for the issues that he believes in and he doesn't wear smart on his sleeve. (laughs) I like that. 
Well, yeah. I want to meet him one day. All right. So, Melanie, tell us a little bit about what's next. What are your new projects coming up? What are the goals? And how do you ensure that your goals are big enough? So my staff keeps reminding me that the goals are big enough. <laughs> because, because I keep I pushing. Figure with somebody like you, I'm sure the goals are always just, uh, as I was asking you the question, I'm like, she may not even have one already. So let's see what they, you got going on. Next. They keep reminding me like, okay, all right. Like you're pushing it now. Like I know because I just have this quote that I love and it's just after you've done everything you can do one more thing. Right. And so <laughs> that's what we live by. So when they come in and they're like, well, we've done, I'm like, after you've done everything and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so they know that I'm going to say that. It's like, because we have to solve it. No one wants to hear that you don't have an answer for them when they have children and they're hungry or, you know, they can't get to work because they need a shower. So you have to do one more thing. So I think that when I'm talking about the goals, I'm always trying to be realistic though, first about how much pressure I can put on myself and on the team without causing burnout. Because admittedly, during those first two years of COVID, I burned out a lot of people who trusted me and who were inspired by the work, the mission, and my passion. And so sometimes that can make people, like you, they see you doing it, and so they do it too. But it was a lot. COVID was a lot. We were one of the only agencies that was open the whole time. And it was scary. And we were dealing with a population of people who were not getting help or assistance anywhere. You know, you have homeless people. The parks closed, if you remember. They closed the parks. The stores were closing at eight o'clock. So people didn't have a place to use a restroom. So people were literally showing up here in the morning, soiled, in tears. Women who were experiencing a cycle were showing up here, just a mess. And so for me, when I'm seeing that, I can't say, oh, well, well, we're closed or we're closing early or we can't take one more person for a shower. It's like, no, no, we have to let this one more person in. So it's tough to draw the line when it's something as it's not just, oh, well, let's just close. It's if we close, they don't have another option. And so but I do recognize that that was just a lot for people, especially because we were all afraid. Like people were getting COVID, the news was showing people in refrigerated trucks, and we were here. Everybody was packing up their computers and going home, setting up home offices, <laughs> and we were here trying to figure out how to build a sink outside so that they could wash their hands. So I think that- To you for like getting your organization through that, because that must have been really, really difficult. So I need to know, I mean, you just gave us your quote, but I need to know everything you've gone through. What's your advice to your 21-year-old self? Oh, my advice to my 21-year-old self would undoubtedly be you're enough. You know, I think that up until like far into adulthood, I was always chasing the next thing because I felt like I needed to do something else. You know, I needed to prove myself. I needed to, sometimes I didn't feel like I was very smart, even though I was in smart classes. It was just self-imposed doubt. And so it was a constant thing of having to do, if I could do this, then I'll believe what I'm seeing. I'll believe what everybody else is saying, but maybe if I can't, well, I don't know if I could do this. I will take that advice and I am much older than 21. Yeah. So that's what I would tell myself that you're enough. You're enough. Like right where you are in the very moment that you're in with whatever you have, you are enough. I love it. Beautiful. That. Beautiful. All right. So tell us a little bit about volunteer opportunities 
and possible action steps so we can move your cause forward. So LifeNet for Families, when we're fully staffed, all of those numbers that I told you, when we're fully staffed, there's 19 of us. (laughs) That's it. And so we always need volunteers. Prior to the pandemic, we used to use about 15 volunteers every day. Now people are working from home and things have changed. We need about five or six volunteers every day, and that would make such a huge difference for us. So we need volunteers to help us in the community cafe. We need volunteers to help us give out clothing in the clothing room. We need volunteers to help us distribute mail in our post office. We have a mini post office for people who are homeless who need to get their mail someplace. So we need people to help give that out. So those are some of the areas. Sometimes we need people to do filing or, you know, just administrative work to answer the phones. There's no matter what it is that you, your skills that you have or that you don't think are not important at LifeNet and for families, they matter. So if you are willing to help, we can find ways to help you to make a difference with our mission. So thank you for letting us know. And we hope that some of our listeners can volunteer for you. We started this podcast to encourage all of you to join in giving more. And there's plenty to do. We want to live to give more. That's the name of this podcast. Here are several action steps that you can do in addition to what Melanie has already mentioned. So we can raise money. You can donate funds, donate your time and volunteer, recruit volunteers, and of course, become an advocate to support any programs offered by LifeNet for Families. There are a variety of volunteer opportunities on its website. Many of these can be done on the website, www.lifenetforfamilies.org. LifeNet for the number four families.org. So just as Melanie just said, they can use a lot of volunteers. So just pick at least one thing that you can do this week and tell us about it on our Instagram account. You can follow us at Live to Give More, the number two, Live to Give More. Melanie, we want to thank you for this very insightful and educational conversation. I know that Elise and I have learned a lot more about your program and what you're doing to help the world move forward. And many of us can learn and take small pieces of what you just said, the way you live your life, the way you thrive, the way you help others thrive is really truly inspirational. And I hope that that we as a society can just eliminate some meetings and just move it forward. Yeah. And no doubt anyone who listens to this will be inspired by your words because I am inspired and I realize that I'm enough, but there is a lot more to do. And (laughs) thank you for everything you do for our community. Keep doing the fight and you're helping a lot of people. So thank you, Melanie. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it.